Amen. Well, if you will turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 12 through 16. But I'd like to read with you. Um, Six through sixteen. So, if you'll stand with me, we'll read the word of God uh, together. If you want to follow along, I'll read. And the apostle Paul tells his disciple Timothy, "If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you've carefully followed." But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourselves toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I wanted to read this whole section from last week, uh, text verses 6 through 10, uh, into this week's text, because I wanted to be reminded that Paul highlighted the role of his ministry to Timothy and Timothy's ministry to the Ephesians, and that it all has to do with the missionary plan of the salvation of God. So, uh, you know, chapter two was really beneficial for us because we read that God, our savior, verse four, desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Very just epic missionary passage right there that sets the tone for all that Paul would be getting into regarding uh, church conduct. Uh, and then again, here in chapter 4, this incredible statement that uh, the living God, verse 10, is the Savior of all men, especially to those who believe. So we see just the universal scope of God's plan for salvation to, to be reaching out to all men, regardless of nation they live in, regardless of social status, that, that our God is a God of salvation with a missionary heart. It's important to remember that as we go into verse 11 through verse 16, as Paul then gives a whole bunch of imperatives in a really small portion of a text. Now, what does that mean? It means we're just going to read through a whole lot of, of good things to be doing in light of the good things that God has done, and the good things that God wants to do. Uh, and so uh, the title for today's message is actually taken from one of the translations of this, the J.B. Phillips translation, and it says, a little personal advice. All right, so that's what we're going to give to you today, from the lips of Paul to a young minister uh, that, of course, can find application uh, to the ministers in this church as well as to those that uh, want to be part of the plan of God in um, serving others and serving the world. So uh, here is a little personal advice. Here are some imperatives 
or things that should be done in light of what God has done for us. Um, At the center of this short little text we're going to study today is a very important phrase regarding the gift that's been given to Timothy by the laying on of hands, with prophecy uh, and with the laying on of hands. And, And that's central because it shows the necessity of the power of the Holy Spirit in the life that we're to lead as Christians. We, we can't do it in our own strength. We need to be reborn and be changed from the inside by the power of the gospel. And the gospel not only brings forgiveness of sins and washing us as white as snow, but the gospel brings about a new heart for us, a change of our inner man or inner woman uh, that would just completely resurrect who we are, uh, revive who we are, uh, make us new creations in Christ Jesus. And all of that includes the power of the Holy Spirit upon a believer's life to be able to obey God when we could have never obeyed God, to be able to live for God when we could have never lived for God, to be able to be powerfully preaching the gospel when for most of us in this room, if not every single one of us, we're terrified to open up our mouths and preach the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. So at the center of this text today is the importance of the, of the Holy Spirit's gifting upon us and enablement on us. And at the conclusion of our text, the very last verse in verse 16, the power of the Spirit is linked with Paul's missional concerns once again, and that is Timothy's own salvation and then the salvation of those that would hear Timothy. So that's all some context in what we're studying today. It's important to know before we get into the text. So let's get into it. Verse 11, uh, these things command and teach. Now we kind of chuckled about this in verse 6 and now in verse 11 because there's these, these things that he talks about. And as you study it, it's really hard to know what things are these things. You might remember that from last, what things? Because it's all kind of things. And at the end of the day, it's like, yes, it all, okay, Um, it all. So we're going to just bring it on into today's text and say, hey, these things, go ahead and command them and teach them. Uh, And so let's get into what we're to be commanding and teaching. Verse 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So the Ephesian church hadn't exactly voted Timothy in as a leadership uh, aspect of their church. Paul had commissioned Timothy out. And so historically, there was just a little bit of rub there, um, and, and there were Uh, false doctrines that were going around and elders that were even coming amongst the elders that were in Ephesus that was it was causing conflict and turmoil and Timothy comes in to command and teach some things on behalf of the apostolic Pauline authority and and so uh, there was some rub there and part of that rub was that Timothy was a young guy and so as you come in as an authority Timmy uh, don't let anyone call you Timmy you know it's time to be Tim, you know, it's time to talk like Ken Ham and be a man, you know, and uh, not necessarily, but, uh, but, but really though, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness. How old was Timothy at this point? He was anywhere from 25 years old to about 40 years old. No one really knows, but that's about the aspect, the range there, probably mid 30s. So this is an encouraging text to those that want to serve the Lord, but are looked down upon based on physical traits and something such as a youthfulness about you, that you're young. And, you know, this is just part of my testimony uh, since I was about 15 years old, just started serving in the church and leading worship in the church, started teaching Bible studies, all the way up to being an elder at Calvary Chapel Corvallis at 20 years old, uh, serving there until I was 27, and then being called here to Prineville at the age of 27. I'm 36 now, and I'm still young. You know, I'm, I, there's times I don't feel it so much, but uh, I like that the other 36-year-olds are like, you're totally young still. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, but, 
But there's still that, you know, the older guys kind of still looking down on the kids, you know. Uh, and, and just the word from Paul, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness. That's not the qualification that matters uh, when you're going to be serving the Lord. Um, there's some great scriptures regarding uh, uh, the, the youth, the youthful minister. Jeremiah, the prophet, was a young guy when he was called to be a prophet by the Lord. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's how young he was. He was actually a baby. No, not really. Uh, Before you were born, I sanctified you. So there was this calling upon his life. Even as a baby, I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. So just a beautiful passage there. I always go back to that Jeremiah passage, you know. Just don't let people look down. on. Don't say, oh, I'm a youth. Don't, don't let the judgment be passed based on the number of years you've lived. Um, but, but just let it, what's the anointing on your life? What's the giftedness on your life? Uh, it's not the only qualification. We've seen in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that character plays the largest part in the calling of ministers. But but don't let youth be something that disqualifies you. Uh, let the Lord touch your mouth and touch your life. And a little bit today we're going to read again that, Timothy, don't, let, don't neglect the gift that was given to you. And so just a word for us today, for those in this, you know, you might be like, well, this, how does this even apply to me? I can just go ahead and turn, up, turn off for a little bit, you know, because I'm, I'm not young. And, you know, but there's some application there. You know, are you one that judges the young ministers or those that are just stepping up and they're zealous and they're excited to be serving the Lord? There's great qualities that they need to display. We're going to get into them in just a second, but, but just don't despise because of youth. And then as well, those of you that, man, you feel like I'd love to start serving in various capacities. Maybe you stood up the other day just feeling called to be a deacon or an elder and you're just, man, I just, there's young things about me or maybe it's just, I'm young it's just, let's let the Lord take care of that regarding your age. When you look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 8 through 13, we won't read it, but it's the story that came to my mind of, of Samuel the prophet looking for the next, for the, really the, 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 well, it would be the next, the next king of Israel. And so the Lord led him to the house of Jesse, and Jesse paraded all of his sons in front of David, and they were all old, you know, older older young men and and uh man had some skills and and uh and yet the lord said none of these guys are the one and so david said is there any other son that you have here well the young the young kid the youngest of them all he's out taking care of the sheep and 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 samuel said i'll wait right here you go get him and bring him back and david was brought back and he was the youngest son he was ruddy and he was good looking and Samuel the prophet said, arise, anoint him. The Lord said to Samuel, arise and anoint him. This is the one, the youngest one, because the Lord doesn't look on outward appearances. He looks at the heart. And out of all the sons, David was the one that had the heart of the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. And just from me, I come from a heritage of a pastor who, or rather a couple pastors in my life, who were willing to take risks on the youth. Just willing to take risks. Seeing young men and young women who were zealous for the Lord, had the power of the Holy Spirit upon them, loved the Word of God, wanted to serve in any way possible. And the church that I was uh, sent out of, man, a pastor that took risks on the youth. I'm really excited to just see young uh, kids being raised up in the youth group right now that want to serve. Uh, you might have seen Owen up here playing the drum. I mean, he's like a fifth grader, you know, 
And, uh, and he was on the set a couple weeks ago. Just very, just nicely playing the drum. It wasn't, you know. He's just like, yeah, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be, the way I'm playing the drums, it's just, it was just fit right in. It was so awesome. And I came up to Owen afterwards, and I said, you know what blesses me about seeing you up playing the drums? Was that a couple weeks before at youth group, we had a discussion time among the kids. And he spoke up among all the, high, all the you know, it's about middle school age, young middle school, end of elementary school. And he just said, you know what? I just want to follow Jesus. And I'm just so just cautious that as life goes on for me, I'm going to be distracted by the things of this world. And my life would go by and I'd end up having died not following after the Lord. I mean, the way he said it, I was like, there is maturity in this 11-year-old. And I said, and so you know what? The fact that you're up there and you're not just being a musician up on the stage, but you are coming with your drums as a heart of worship to follow hard after the Lord, praise God. And there's other kids in our youth group, and I'm just around the, uh, you know, the fourth graders through the seventh graders. There's other youth that are being raised up that want to be teachers of the word. They want to be preachers. They're praying at school. They're sharing the gospel. They're already, you know, when their brothers sinned against them, they're setting up meetings to go and to talk and to reconcile and work things out as fifth graders. And they're seeing reconciliation happen at the school. That is incredible. That's happening in our little, they're not even teenagers yet. And I spoke with another, he's one of the older kids in the group, and I just said, man, let's start working together and how to study the word. I'd love to see you starting to teach the Bible to your peers and to just be, open up your mouths about the gospel and encouraging those that are coming up behind you, just excited for that. And so, man, just to see the youth, it's a beautiful thing when they start serving the Lord. Um, and so there's five categories of action that are given for the youthful young minister and so uh, the first one is be an example be an example so don't let anyone despise your youth but be an example to the believers be a pattern or a model for these believers so paul is telling timothy that christian leadership is a matter of godly character from beginning to the end. The ministry is a character of profession. And godly character creates moral authority. When you're living a life that's an example of godly character, then it brings about authority and a weightiness behind it. To those that would look down on your youth, well, when you, they look at your youthfulness and they see someone who's of, of godly uh, principles and virtue, uh, that brings about respect. And so the first thing and the second thing and the third thing for a young pastor is that he's a man of character. In fact, Titus is a pastoral epistle as well. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, In all things show yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, so in the things you teach and in truth, man, you've got to be a good example in that. In reverence and in corruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who's an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So uh, be an example to believers. And be an example, first of all, in word. So in the way that a young man teaches the word, knows the word, Speaking the word of God, but also speaking the words that would come out of your mouth. Be an example in, in the word of God. Uh, Towner said, the more a life is molded by the word, the more it becomes a typos or a model or a mold. It was a case of living out life as faith in the gospel, and the gospel has shaped this life. So being a man of the word, those of you that just want to just be servants of the Lord, get into the word of God. Let the word of God shape you and mold you and make you. And I know that it's not all about my testimonies, but I just, I just treasure some of my testimony that when I was in high school and the Lord just came upon me and just started using me in a powerful way as a 
14, 15-year-old, that it was part of a youth group where a revival was happening, and high schoolers were just serving Jesus, leading worship, preaching the gospel, going street witnessing. And I just remember some of these upperclassmen in my high school group, Joe Clare, Ivan Christensen, Josh Fiegels, and other classmates my same age, Cody Acevedo, Chris Elliott, and just guys that we were just worshiping the Lord together, serving the Lord. We were in the Word together. We'd have sleepovers, and what would we do with our sleepover time? We'd worship like all night long, and we'd read the Bible all night long as freshmen in high school, you know? And it was just a work of the Holy Spirit. It was nothing that I did. It was nothing. Man, honestly, for me, it was like, what, so what could we do this Sunday besides go to church? Like, can you guys think of anything? You know, um, what could I do to get out of going? I mean, that was like, I, there was a lot of things I'd rather do than be in church on Sunday. But the Lord met me and the Lord captured my heart and he changed me and these other young men to where we just wanted to be in the word and follow the word and let the word shape us and conform us into the image of Christ. And so it's just as that would, as there would be growth in that, there'd be an example in the word. And then secondly, what comes from being in the word? Conduct. Our conduct is something that is an example. Someone who runs from sin, who stands up for holiness, someone who serves others. In James chapter 3 verse 13, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So wisdom, you know, you're young. No one thinks you've got wisdom. No one thinks, but, and it, but it all is tied together. As you're in the presence of the Lord, as you're letting his word wash over you, as you're in submission to the authority of the word of God, conduct just flows out of that. The Holy Spirit working through the word being pressed into your life. Be an example in word. Be an example in conduct. Be an example in love. Brotherly love for each other. Laying your life down. Is there any question that the minister loves the people? That the shepherd loves the flock? Be an example in love. I was just blessed. Was at a home group the other day? And and, uh, I've heard multiple times, even in the last week, that just people telling about coming to Calvary Chapel and just from the minute we were greeted at the door to being here in the church and meeting people, just people came after us and just showed us love. It was obviously there was care there. What a beautiful thing that is. I know it's a little off the, the minister, ministerial example thing, but praise God that the Lord's working that in our church. Um, so guys, now that I've said it, we got to step up our game today. If you haven't reached out to anyone today, it's like, well, I sure didn't feel welcome when I came to Calvary Chapel today. So just jump on people today, everybody. Okay. I've never had so many hugs as when I went to Calvary and holy kisses. They were there too. Okay. It's biblical. Can't deny it. All right. Uh, be an example in faith, trusting the Lord in the hard times, stepping out in obedience when you know the Lord is calling you. Be an example in purity, blameless in all areas as a young man, knowing how to possess your own vessel. So in purity, I remember as a young, you know, 15, 16 years old, starting to play the guitar, starting to lead worship, and uh, learning this song that was based on Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And I'm not going to sing it to you, but it was catchy, I'm going to tell you. It was 1996 catchy, which had its own sweetness to it. I'm sure you get that. But uh, it says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And so just be an example in purity. Whatever these things are, man, be one that's just obvious. This guy is meditating on the, when I was a junior in high school, I adopted a Mustang off the Nevada desert and this beautiful sorrel with a golden mane. And I saw him running at the BLM grounds out there by Burns and he ran and the sun caught his golden mane and all the buckskins had gotten taken. And I was like, well, Sorrel looks good. And, but I just fell in love with this. I'm a buckskin guy. Uh, 
But this horse, man, just looked beautiful in that crown, really, as he ran. And to me, I just said, noble. This horse is noble. And it, but to me, you know, just as a youth, I'm like, finally, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is, okay, uh, whatever is noble. And for a young guy, just that was always in my head, just whatever's noble, think on these things, meditate on these things, be of character and godliness and let it be praiseworthy. And then, of course, sexually pure as a youth. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, you know, you might be wondering, what's the will of God for my life? Or especially as a youth, what's the will of God? Should I grow up to be a doctor? Should I grow up to have 20 kids? Should I blah, blah, blah? You know, it's like, hey, lay it all aside and just know this. The will of God is your sanctification, that you are set apart from the way this world does stuff. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That's the will of God. You're coming up as a youth. Uh, and, and wanting to be in, man, be abstinent, be pure. The will of God is that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so as a youth, as it goes on to say that no one would take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness, Therefore, whoever rejects this does not reject man, but God, who's also given us his Holy Spirit. And just kind of that section in 1 Thessalonians kind of closes it with, man, what has the Lord done for us? He's, he's created us. He's made us anew. He's given us new life. He's given us the gift of the Spirit to set us apart from the world. Don't compromise an area of purity. Don't compromise it. Man, you're defrauding your brother or your sister you know, as, as you would be immoral sexually. The will of God is that you would be set apart from the junk of the world, that you're not living out, you know, the daytime soap opera in your life, but that you're living out just, man, worshipful hearts to the Lord in integrity and in purity. And so don't let anyone despise your youth. And of course, in this culture, and the same culture as back then, uh, man, youthfulness has connotations of passion and lust. But man, be an example in purity. Charles Bridges said, great, uh, a great remedy for um, immorality would be tender, well-regulated domestic affection is the best defense against the vagrant desires of unlawful passions. Okay, I know you didn't even hear that, but let me say it one more time because <laughs> this is good for all of us. Tender, well-regulated domestic affection, you do the math, is the best defense against the vagrant desires of unlawful passion. Good word for the young ministers. And so, be an example. Secondly, out of five things, give attention. Okay? So be an example. Give attention. Verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading to exhortation, to doctrine. And so until Paul was able to come onto the Ephesian church scene, Timothy needed to be there, alert, paying attention, carefully considering three different things. First of all, reading. Give attention to reading. And this speaks of public reading. So it's very cool to be a part of this heritage here in 2018 Prineville and to stand together and to read the word of God publicly. And how cool that just a week ago, a week and a half ago, uh, we were fasting and for five days we fasted and we gathered during every mealtime and we read about seven chapters per mealtime or we read about 21 chapters a day of the New Testament. And in a period of five days, we as a church gave attention to reading. We read the entire Pauline epistles. How incredible that was to value the word of God, to declare the word of God, and to pray that the word of God would be pressed into our heart and change us from the inside out. That's been a practice that our church has done for the last nine years or so. We've gathered together and 
And I was just sharing this history during one of the fasting times that one year we read uh, the entire New Testament in seven days. And it reminded me when I was 15 years old and I went to Hungary. I was on a missions trip and we'd do uh, like a rock concert down in the train station. And then we'd go out and preach the gospel. And this gal got saved in Budapest and she went home and found a Bible and she read the entire New Testament in that period we were down ministering in the train station. And she came at the end of the week. She said, I just, I've read the entire New Testament, the Matthew through Revelation. It's just changing my life. It's so incredible. I'm never I'm just I'm just changed. And uh, and so just it was like, man, Lord, do that in us. And seven day period, we read the whole New Testament as a church. Seven day period, we read Genesis through Ruth as a church. We've read the Gospels all the way through. We've read the book of Acts here during those fasts. We've read the book of Revelation during these fasts. And just a wonderful thing to just be part of the heritage of the Apostle Paul telling the church to give attention to reading. Praise God we've been doing that. Amen. Justin Martyr wrote just after the first century, he said, On the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets are read, as long as time permits. When the reader has finished, the president speaks, instructing and exhorting the people to imitate these good things. And so kind of spoiler alert, because he says, give attention to reading. And then he goes on to say to exhortation and to doctrine. And so essentially he's saying, read the word, teach the word, preach the word. And as Justin Martyr in the early church said, that's what we've done from the beginning. We read the word, we explain the word, and we instruct and we preach these good things. And so reading the word of God, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, it defines who we are as the people of God. It shows us who God is and what, and what he considers us to be and what he's done for us. As we read the word, it shows us our identity, either as children of wrath who've not been partakers of the goodness of God yet, <laughs> Or as the redeemed of God who've received the blessings and the grace and the goodness of God for forgiveness of sin, for the washing and regeneration, that we are new creations. We've had our conscience sprinkled with pure water and we can serve God without a guilty conscience anymore. We are just as if we've never sinned. And so as we read the word and we find that out about ourselves, that's how God views us in Christ Jesus. Then we can say, well, now what do we do? And as we're reading the Bible, then we say, well, now we go do this. Praise God, he's done this for us. Now we go out and we do this for him to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen? That's what paying attention to the reading of the word does. It's incredibly valuable for us. And so at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, we will always champion the word of God. We will always give attention to reading the word of God and exhorting from the word of God and preaching doctrine from the word of God. We will die before we lose this incredibly important practice. Pay attention to reading and to exhortation. Exhortation speaks of comforting through the word and encouragement and earnestly requesting response to the word look at nehemiah chapter 8 i've always loved this section of israel's history as they come back into jerusalem after the babylonian captivity so this is a group of people who they were they were given a spanking by god because they were worshiping all kinds of other gods and there was a lot of bad stuff that went along with that's pg here today so we're not going to get into it but bad stuff they went on into 70 years of captivity, and the Lord used the Babylonian Empire to chasten and correct uh, Judah or Israel. And so after that time, the king that was over them at that time said, you may go back and you may rebuild the old places. So Nehemiah went and Ezra the priest went, and, uh, and Jerusalem began to be rebuilt. And so now you have Israel back in their home city of Jerusalem, and, and just neat things are beginning to happen and Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 2 through 8 says, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men 
and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood all these other people. (laughs) And his left hand, these guys too. And verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. So it's just kind of cool to be a part of that heritage, isn't it? The, you know, reading of the word. We stand up in reverence as we read the scriptures. Uh, All the people stood up, verse 6, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We read of the Levites here who helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense, they helped them understand what they were reading, and they helped them to understand the reading. So even John Stott, the Scottish preacher, said, it was taken for granted from the beginning that Christian preaching would be expository preaching. That is, that all Christian instruction and exhortation would be drawn out of the passage that's been read. There's such a blessing in the nature of expository preaching where we take the Bible and we draw out of the Bible the words to inform us and to shape us and to change us and to make us like the living God who's the Savior of the world. We don't care about stories. We don't care about experience as much as we care about the beautiful, valuable, important, informative, changing word of God that is the Bible that we hold in our hands. There's nothing like it. And so we preach it and we teach it and we read it. And so Paul essentially says, concentrate until my arrival on your reading and on your preaching and on your teaching. So we're to be examples especially the media context is young ministers. Uh, We are to pay attention or give attention. Secondly, third out of five today, don't neglect, don't neglect. Just a little advice from Paul. Don't neglect. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. So don't neglect the gift. Don't disregard, in the Greek, it's the charisma. The charisma, it speaks of grace, charis. Don't reject the grace of God. Don't reject the uh, charisma of God upon you. The gracious gift of God. Don't disregard it. Have you ever neglected something before? You know, you neglect your lawn and what happens to your lawn. You neglect your flower bed, what happens to your flower bed. We spent time out in the, in the flower bed, just me and the kids. Lindsay was at the women's thing yesterday, and, and I'm teaching my kids how to weed, you know. And you got to get down under the root, guys, you know. And Tatum's chasing a deer off in the neighbor's yard. And I got to go run after her and get away from that deer, you know. But um, be honest, I didn't know where she was half the time. So anyone looking for a babysitter position, come talk to me. But, uh, you know, but we're just working and just teaching about, you know, Taking care and good stewardship of the things God given us, you know. You neglect your body, you neglect your pets, you neglect your house, you neglect your, your yard, you neglect your finances, you neglect your spiritual health. I mean, those things, this is not good to neglect. People go to jail for neglect, right? Um, it's endangerment. And so when the Lord has given charisma, when the Lord has given gifts, don't neglect that. And in Timothy's case, he was given a gift where the the elders came and they laid hands on him and they prophesied over him certain gifts, most likely regarding the ministry of a leader to the Ephesians. Maybe the gift of teaching and preaching, especially. 
But don't neglect those gifts. And I would ask you today, this is rhetorical, so don't answer. It gets awkward when you do that. First of all, are you a Christian? Have you been born again? Have you received the grace of God and forgiveness of sins upon your life? Like receiving by faith and trusting in what he has done for you. Or do you still come before the throne of God with your good works and self-righteousness in your hand saying, you kind of owe me, God. I mean, I've been pretty awesome down here. And you think you're going to stand before him and defend yourself in his holiness and in your sinfulness? That dog don't hunt. Book of Romans says your mouth is going to be stopped and you're going to be found to be a liar. Or you can come before his throne grieving for your sin empty-handed, nothing in your hands do you bring, and you just receive what he's done for you on the cross, sacrificing himself for you, substituting himself for you, shedding his precious blood as atonement for your sin, that every wicked thing you've ever done or thought of doing would be washed away and forgotten of by the grace of God, by the gift of God. And if you are there, even maybe for the first time today, where you're like, man, I've been coming with my own righteousness, and I'm pretty, man, there's no humility in that. Pride has no place before God. You will be cast out into the lake of fire. But if you can say, no, I am spiritually bankrupt. I've got nothing to give, and I just come and bow before the mercy of this Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me that I could be saved from my sin. If you come to that place, if you're led by that to that place by him, then you've also been given gifts, incredible gifts, an inheritance, and gifts, spiritual gifts. The Bible says if you're a Christian, you've been given gifts, spiritual gifts. And I, I didn't have this plan, but I just felt like during worship that we just needed to go there. So let's take our Bibles and let's turn to the left a few books to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Not a whole lot of flipping going on. I want to hear some serious rufflage of the pages going on, all right? That's way better. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And it's so sad that this is one of the things in the church that people are so ignorant of. They've been Christians for years and they don't have any idea of the gifting of God upon their life and ways that they can serve in the church. It says, yes, you know that you were dumb, uh, rather, yeah, that too. You were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are differences of activities, but to each one, uh, rather, forgive me, guys, uh, verse 6, there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So we start out in verse 1. He's talking about spiritual gifts. And then he goes on to say in verse 7 that spiritual gifts are also called manifestations of the Spirit, which means God has shown up. When these gifts are being used, it's a manifestation of the Spirit of God. And those are given to each one for the profit of all. So everyone as a believer is given a spiritual gift, at least one, a lot of times more. And it's not for the purpose of your own benefit or getting like, you know, goosebumps on the back of your neck and be like, Ooh, oh, wow, I got it, you know, um, sorry, no, okay. But rather, it's for the benefit of all, the profit of all. You go on in this book to chapter 13 and 14. It's for the building up of the church that you are given a gift. And then verse 8, for to one, the, give, uh, to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. 
to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So this beautiful passage about the giftings of God being given. Not everybody has the same gift. Not everybody has the same set of gifts. You look at Romans chapter uh, 12. There's a set of gifts there. Ministry, administration, leading, teaching, all kinds of wonderful gifts. Helps. Um, and and just, it's a beautiful thing to know the gifts of God upon your life. But it's a tragic thing when Christians just are ignorant of the spiritual gifts in their life. You just don't even know. You've, you've put zero time into praying about uh, how God wants to give you and show up in your life in a radically powerful way so that you can edify the local church that you're a part of and so that you can display the name of Christ to the world. And so I would encourage you, don't be ignorant concerning your spiritual gifts. Even as we wrap up today, pray to the Lord and say, Lord, how do you want to gift me so that I can be an effective part of this church in building up my brothers and sisters around me and so that I can share your glory with the nations? Don't neglect it. Timothy, don't neglect it. You're going into that ministry situation or you're there in Ephesus. Don't neglect what we've prophesied over you. You know, that's going to be part of your effective ministry there in Ephesus. And I believe just a word for the church in Primeville would be, don't neglect the gift that's given. In Romans chapter 11, verse 29, we read that the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. And I hate to do spoilers, but when we get to 2 Timothy 1.4, it says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And I just, every time I read that, it might be immaturity in me, but I'm a youthful pastor, so here you go. But you know how when you make Kool-Aid and all the sugar and all the powder goes down to the bottom of the, the pitcher, you know? And you know, you go to your fridge and you just drink that nasty water that's on the top. Like, nobody likes that right? Um, But stir it up, man. Get the flavor going. Man, what is this beautiful thing you have in front of you to partake of? It's very calorie low and it's good for your body too. Uh, You know, but stir it up. Don't let your giftings from the Lord go stagnant. Stir them up. Come back to, man, I have not been operating in these gifts. I don't even remember the last time I did it. And I've, I've, I've been quitter. I've been a quitter. I've not been doing it. I've been negligent. Step forward and stir it up. And we see that these things oftentimes, not every time. I, don't, I think when you read the book of Acts, when you read the New Testament, not every time are these gifts given by the laying on of hands, but sometimes they are as you read the book of Acts, as you read the epistles. So Paul charges Timothy to remember that electric moment in the past where the elders laid hands on and spoke words of prophecy over and and the Holy Spirit came upon Timothy for the work of the ministry. I like what Donald Guthrie, New Testament uh, professor, wrote. Although the word gift draws attention to the part played by the Holy Spirit in Timothy's ministry, The exhortation not to neglect it brings out equally emphatically the human responsibility. God's gifts, like the talent, must never be left unused. Don't neglect the gift. And the Holy Spirit has pursued you and given you this wonderful charisma. So stir it up. J.B.P. Phillips wrote in his translation, never forget that you received the gift of proclaiming God's word when the assembled elders laid hands on you. Wrapping up today, you guys, verse 15, we have our fourth piece of advice to young Timothy, meditate. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. So keep thinking about and practicing and cultivating and continue to do these things. 
Give yourself totally over to them. When I was just reading through 1 Timothy and just preparing to teach it, uh, this verse just really impacted me. Uh, that I was to man, give myself entirely to the reading, to the exhortation, to um, you know, these, these wonderful imperatives that we're reading here in chapter 4 today. And that just stirred up in me, even since our uh, New Year's sermon series we did through the book of Acts, that man, we're to be men and women of the word of God. And even more, I want to be memorizing the word and implanting it in my heart. How can a young man cleanse his way but by taking heed according to the word? And in the same passage in Psalm 119, um, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I want to give myself entirely to the good doctrine and the word of faith. I want to keep a critical eye onto myself and onto the doctrine as it goes on to say, uh, in verse 16, one last thing, William Towner said, live and breathe these things, live and breathe these things and your progress will be evident to all. Uh, fifthly and lastly in the worship team, why don't you head on this direction? Continually take heed, continually take heed, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So fix your attention, alert yourself, and let your teaching be on this good doctrine. Keep that critical eye out on yourself and on the word of God. Doctrine speaks of truths about who God is that we gather from the inspired word of God. We know who God is what he requires, what his character is, how merciful he is, how gracious he is, how loving he is, how just he is. All of these beautiful attributes because we spend time in the word of God. We know the truth about God because we take heed to the doctrine, but it's not just knowing doctrine, it's taking heed to how the doctrine is changing you. Are you walking in obedience to the good doctrine? Repenting where you've fallen short of it. Repenting where you've had errant views of who God is. Repenting where you've had errant views of who he desires you to be and the action that should come on your life. Not of self-righteous works, but of obedience birthed out of gratitude and rejoicing in what he's done for you. Good works that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Spirit given to us so that we can obey, so that we can, um, so that we can go forth in his power and open up our mouths and tell the world about him. Take heed to yourself. Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 9.27, and we talked about it during our fast, but he says, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. And, you know, we talked about how it means literally I give myself the black eye and I don't let my body rule over me. <laughs> lest when I've preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So take heed to yourself as you're preaching the doctrine. Lest you, you've been preaching, but you ain't been living it. You haven't been shaped by it. It's evident in your life. It's a place to be concerned, lest you be disqualified. And then as we close, I just quote Townsend. Reference to the Spirit's gifting to us in verse 14 assures that Paul is not thinking of human effort alone in this process. Don't hear today, white knuckle it and do better. All right? Paul gave us a whole bunch of advice, so just try harder, would you people? Oh, spend time in the presence of God. Spend time in his revelation of himself to us. Realize that the hero in the book is Jesus, not you. Realize you're the failure, the sinner, the sick one, the diseased, the condemned, 
and that you have no power in and of yourself to remedy your dire situation. And come to the champion as you realize that every hero in every story is a, it's a little picture of the true and better hero, Jesus, and what he's doing and how he's there for us and how he's faithful and how he did it. He obeyed. He was brave. He was courageous. He's our champion. Come to him. And when you come to him, he imparts to you a new life, a change of character, a change of heart, a change of desire. Good belief moves us to good behavior. Some good advice from Paul today. And so as we close, you can go ahead and set your things aside. As a church who just is led by the Lord to be in the word, reading the word, exhorting from the word, giving ourselves to the word, We just want to repent today, Lord. Lord, of any way that we, and I just pray for myself and I know the elders are there with me, just praying for any way that we have neglected, not been examples, not been meditating, not been giving ourselves diligently towards. Just knowing that just the words of life. You use these imperatives to get your great name and display your great name out to the world. And with us, Lord, anyone in this church that would just say, man, I have, I've been not an example in my home, in my place of work, in the church. I've not been giving myself entirely to meditating on the word of faith and the good doctrine. I've been neglecting the gift that I know the Lord's given me, or I'm ignorant. I haven't even been trying to figure out just how the Lord wants to just empower me and use me and manifest himself through me. So Lord, we just want to just afresh today, just cry out for your mercy and receive just a care in our heart for the things of God. And just going and reading 1 Corinthians 12 and just considering the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe you just, you don't know what the gifts are or what the Lord would want you to have from him. And if you're honest, you've neglected the gifts of the spirit in your life. Maybe today would be the day where just he would give, he would distribute the gifts as he wills, as you earnestly desire the best gift in your life. Maybe today you would just ask for a spiritual gift. Maybe today it would be the word of wisdom given to you. A word of knowledge given to you. The ability to speak forth the heart of God through prophecy. Praying in a prayer language and the gift of tongues and being able to do it decently in order within a church by having a gift of interpretation of tongues given today. Maybe the gift of helps for you. That when you go to serve, it's a manifestation of the Spirit. Or the gift of administration, as Romans tells us. The gift of ministry. The gift of exhortation and spurring one another on. A gift of teaching. This isn't an exhaustive list, but great place to start. And today, just as we close, why don't you just say, Lord, I've just been negligent. If that's you, and just say, Lord, would you just give me gifts that I could be part of building up this church 
and I can be a part of displaying your glory to the world. We repent today, Lord, and we cry out for the charisma, for the grace of God to be gifted out upon us for your name. Let's stand together today. We'll close in this song.